you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. We'll be looking at Galatians 5, 16 to 26 uh, again this week. We have been working very slowly through these verses, uh, Galatians 5, 16, 15, 16 through 26, um, because there's a lot in there, and, uh, and I, I hope it's uh, helpful to you. Uh, I know I've been wrestling with these verses and, and what they mean and, and how to apply them to my own life and heart. I hope, uh, hope, we'll hope that it's been helpful to you as we've been doing that together. So... Uh, before we read Galatians 5, let's, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for speaking to us, for not abandoning us, for not leaving us to ourselves, but speaking into our lives. We thank you for not just speaking into our lives, but for speaking words of grace uh, we thank you for the gospel, for the work of Jesus on the cross. Uh, we thank you that uh, he not only did that uh, 2,000 years ago, died for our sin, but uh, that you now have given us your word that we might know it and that we might believe it, that we might trust in his work, that we might rest in it. Father, we pray that as we look at this text this morning that you would enable us to do that more and more, even as we strive after uh, living for you. Father, help us to that end. Give me the words to say as I speak. Give us as a congregation ears to hear, uh, soft hearts ready to receive your word, uh, ready to bear fruit for you and for your glory. Uh, be with us now by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Galatians 5, beginning with verse 16. But I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Well, I have never been much of a dancer. In fact, my earliest memories of dances are of those ever so awkward middle school dances, which were not fun, either then or in retrospect. <laughs> in fact, when Deborah and I first got engaged, I was living with a, a, a British guy named Alex, and uh, Alex asked me, um, are you going to have dancing at your wedding? And I said, well, I, I guess so. I mean, we're not going to waltz or anything like that, but you know. 
And he uh, kind of stopped and gave me this funny look because he had just recently got engaged. And of course, that's exactly what they were going to do at his wedding. Uh, and it must have been at that moment that he decided he was going to get all of his friends dancing lessons before his wedding so that us dumb Americans knew what to do on the dance floor. Um, you know, the, the stereotype, of course, of bad dancing is you, you, you don't know who's leading, you don't know who's following, and you keep stepping on one another's toes. Um, maybe the Christian life is a little bit like that, but uh, dancing is an apt metaphor for the Christian life uh, because of this language uh, that we find in verse 25 of keeping in step with the Spirit. The Spirit is leading us in a dance, as it were, right? And we are called to follow. Of course, the, the, that sounds good. It sounds great. Okay, what, what does that mean? <laughs> That's the big question. Um, right away, uh, it means uh, in order to do this, in order to follow the Spirit in this way, uh, we, we must be Christian. Um, why is that? What does that mean? Well, the Bible teaches that we receive the Spirit by hearing the gospel and trusting in Jesus. If you believe that Jesus is Lord and if you've trusted in him for the forgiveness of your sins, uh, you have received the Spirit, Scripture says. Because no one can believe in Jesus and trust in his work apart from the work of the Spirit within us. And yet even so, for those who have been given the Spirit, for those who have trusted in Christ, what does it mean to keep in step with the Spirit. Well, we mentioned last week that uh, our, our normal perspective on the Christian life, or oftentimes our perspective on the Christian life, is we tend to vacillate between, uh, in pursuit of change, in pursuit of living the Christian life, we tend to vacillate between self-reliance on the one hand and passivity on the other. We vacillate between what can I do in my strength to fix me Versus there's nothing for me to do and I just need to let go and let God. We vacillate between how can I work this out and make things right and there's no way for me to work this out and make things right and I should just sit back and wait. Well, the biblical view is not self-reliance or passivity, but it's actually pursuing active dependence. Active dependence. Well, what does that mean? What does active dependence look like? Or what... Again, does it mean to keep in step with the Spirit? I should say that uh, this week we're going to be emphasizing a little more our activity in the Christian life. Last week, I think we emphasized a little more our dependence, right? We, when we saw that uh, the fruit of the Spirit is the Spirit's fruit, right? It's not something we can produce in ourselves. We need to repent of self-reliance and trust in what the Spirit is doing. This week we're going to look at the other side of that. A little more. Uh, what does it look like to be active in our pursuit of holiness in the Christian life? Uh, there are four aspects uh, to this that we're going to look at, four aspects to keeping in step. You can see them in your bulletin on the back. Uh, we're going to look at keeping in step with the person of the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, not the flesh, keeping in step by walking in new obedience, and keeping in step by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Or to, to put it differently, we're going to talk about keeping in step, where it starts, what it looks like, how you do it, and where you find the strength. 
So those four things. So first, where it starts, right? Keeping in step with the person of the Spirit. Um, you know, in some ways, before we talk about keeping in step, we need to realize that the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is not merely a power, but the third person of the Trinity, a person to be interacted with and worshipped and loved and adored. The Spirit is a he, not an it. Spirit is not a power, but a person. So keeping in step with the Spirit is, is less like plugging into an outlet and more like following someone else's lead in a dance. To say that, of course, is not to say that the Spirit does not empower us. He does. But He empowers us, and His empowerment is not divorced from His leading us, particularly through the Word. So before we can keep in step with the Spirit, uh, we must be willing to be led. If keeping in step is like a dance, right, in a dance you respond to your partner. There's a willingness to be led in a dance. Well, here keeping in step is yielding yourself to the Spirit's work, a, a giving yourself over to Him. As uh, Mary said to the angel Gabriel in an albeit very unique situation, uh, she said, let it be to me as you have said. Or as Jesus said to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, yet another very unique situation, but he said, not my will, but thine be done. Right? Both are saying, I'll go with your will in this. And our response to the Spirit of Christ is actively giving ourselves over to the Spirit so that he might bear his fruit in you. And saying yes to his work, to, to keep in step, is to respond to the Spirit saying, yes, I, I will go with your will in this. Uh, Romans 6.13 says, present yourselves to God. Uh, or or the, the Old King James Version says, yield yourself to Him. Right? Say yes to His work. Give yourself over to God's work in your life. Say, yes, uh, God, here I am. Right? Use me to bear your fruit in me. So to keep in step with the Spirit is, is to say yes to Him, to be willing for the Spirit to work in your life. It's also to expect the Spirit to work in your life. Um, the Holy Spirit wants to lead, right? He desires your holiness. Do you expect Him to grow you in faith? Uh, do you expect Him to, to be overcoming sin in your life? To enable you to be more patient with your kids, or less lustful with your eyes, or less envious of what others have, or more loving towards those in need? Do you expect Him to bear fruit in your life. You know, I, I often want fruit, but do I expect it? Do you pray for it? Right? I mean, the Spirit is a person, right? Do you ask Him for holiness? Paul prays for the spiritual growth of his friends. In Colossians 1, he, he prays that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, Bearing fruit in every good work. Wow. That's an amazing prayer. And that was not just wishful thinking on Paul's part. Paul actually expected his prayers to be answered. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Paul says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. 
Philippians 1.6, Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God is working in his children and will complete his work. There's a confidence that we can have in that. So the Spirit is working new desires. He is bearing fruit in our lives. Are you, are you willing for the Spirit to work in your life? Are you expecting Him to work? Right? Are you praying for Him to work? That's where things start, right? Keeping in step with the person of the Spirit. This is a person who is at work in your life. Well, what does it look like? Or keeping in step with the Spirit and not the flesh. Um, as we've been saying for a number of weeks now, right, there is a, a battle going on uh, within us uh, between the, the flesh and the spirit. Uh, on the one hand, the flesh, right, is just what it means to be human. It's part of the created order instead of God, instead of being the creator, right? In that sense, the flesh is not bad. The problem is when we take the human and we take the created and we ignore the creator and we set the flesh against the creator, all we have eyes to see is life in the flesh, not life beyond the flesh, right? We have no eyes for the transcendent God. And so we live in the flesh when we, when we rely on the flesh for our power, when we delight in the flesh for our joy, when we evaluate by the flesh for our standard of good and bad, of right and wrong, of valuable or worthless. And when we boast in the flesh, right? Who we are in the flesh, what we can accomplish in ourselves. And we see this in Paul's lists here in uh, Galatians 5, right? Uh, he lists things like sexual immorality and impurity and drunken parties, right? All delighting solely in the flesh, right? Believing the lie that this world can make me happy. He talks about rivalries that happen when we evaluate in the flesh, right? I'm better than you. So we strike up these rivalries. Um, idolatry and sorcery, right? Are, are part of relying on the flesh, rather than depending on the transcendent God, who's not made with hands, who cannot be manipulated. Right? Idolatry and sorcery seek to manipulate the spiritual forces right, to our own ends. Verse 26 talks about being conceited and provoking one another, right? which happen as we boast in the flesh. Right? Look at what I can do. Life in the flesh is when we rely on the flesh. Right? We live in self-reliance. Uh, we live according to our ability to control life, when we delight in the flesh, when we think that this world can satisfy, when we evaluate by the flesh and judge things by human standards, and when we boast in the flesh, we boast in who we are, we, we boast in what we can accomplish or what we have accomplished in this life. But Paul says elsewhere, we are no longer in the flesh. Romans chapter 8 verse 9, he says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, he doesn't mean that we're no longer in our bodies. He doesn't mean that we're no longer human. He doesn't even mean that we no longer struggle with sin. But he means we are no longer controlled by the world of the flesh. We're no longer limited to this sphere of life. We are in the Spirit. Verse 25 of Galatians 5 says, If we live by the Spirit... Let us keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit has given us new life. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean that we're not in the flesh, but we live by the Spirit? Um, 
Again, Paul in Romans 8 says uh, that we are not to set our minds on the things of the flesh, but on the things of the Spirit. We are to rely on, to delight in, to evaluate by, boast in, right, different kinds of things. And so we rely on the Spirit, right? We have a transcendent power in the Christian life. We don't have to rely on our own uh, efforts, our own strength. We can rely on God's Spirit. We can delight in spiritual things, right? God's love in the gospel, His fatherly care, the love of Jesus in the cross, right? We have this transcendent joy that is not determined by the things of this life. We can evaluate life by the Spirit, right? By His fruit, by God's values, by God's wisdom in the Scriptures, right? We have this transcendent perspective. We can boast in what God has done. Spiritual reality is not earthly, right? We have this transcendent boast. So we need to ask, right, okay, what about me? Where am I setting my mind on the flesh instead of the Spirit? Uh, Where are you relying on your own power, your own efforts, rather than living in dependence on the Spirit? Where are you delighting in worldly things to the neglect of spiritual Right? Of course, there's nothing wrong with enjoying God's good world. He made it so that we can enjoy it. But where has the goodness of the world become so big in your heart that there's no room for God, that all you see is the delights of this world? Where have you taken on the world's standards of right and wrong, of good and bad, of truth and lies? Standards about fleshly things, maybe, about physical beauty or physical strength or skills or abilities, intelligence, academics, degrees... Where in life does the wisdom of this world trump the wisdom of God found in the Scriptures? Where are you boasting in who you are or in what you have accomplished in this life rather than boasting in the love of God displayed in the cross? Do you use those human standards right, to boast in the flesh? Right? I'm prettier, I'm smarter, I'm funnier, I'm richer, I'm stronger. Right? We need to repent of that. And turn to God, right? His power displayed in the resurrection, ultimately. His love and beauty to satisfy our souls. His wisdom found in His Word. His glory displayed in His works of creation and in redemption. See, as we learn to rely on God's power, delight in His beauty, evaluate by His wisdom, boast in His glory, right? We walk in the Spirit rather than gratify the desires of the flesh, The question is, even as we, from one perspective, we do live in the flesh, right? We live in our bodies, we live in this world. Um, Are our eyes focused here? Are our eyes focused on the flesh? Or are our eyes focused on God and what He is doing, who He is, His love for us in the cross, right? Where are your eyes focused? Well, we've talked about keeping in step with the person of the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit and not the flesh. The question then becomes, okay, how do we do do this? What does it actually look like? We'll talk about keeping in step by walking in new obedience. You know, when Paul says walk by the Spirit, uh, the word walk uh, refers to your manner of life, the, the way you walk, the way you live your life. So keeping in step with the Spirit does ultimately refer to to the way you live your life, how you live before God. Paul elsewhere talks about um, 
the obedience of faith. And by that he means the, the obedience that flows out of faith. And there are a couple different aspects of this new obedience that, that are particularly helpful to think about as we think about keeping in step with the Spirit. And the first one is going to be uh, maybe totally counterintuitive for you, uh, maybe uh, not what you would expect me to say, but that's okay. Uh, here, here's the first aspect of this new obedience, and that is we need to work hard. Uh, we need to strive after obedience to God's Word. You know, work and dependence are not mutually exclusive. Uh, Self-reliance and passivity are unbiblical, right? But active dependence is the goal. And so we work hard. We strive to honor our God. Uh, in fact, uh, seven times the New Testament, mostly in Paul, uses that word striving. New Testament talks about striving in prayer, striving to build up the church, striving for the work of the gospel, striving for peace and holiness. Striving. That doesn't sound passive. <laughs> Ephesians 6.12, Paul talks about wrestling against dark spiritual powers. Wrestling. That doesn't sound passive either. Four times Paul refers to, to uh, fighting the good fight of faith. Fighting the good fight of faith. Multiple times in the New Testament, the Christian life is referred to as an, an, uh, as an athlete running a race. Running a race takes effort. It, it doesn't just happen. Paul calls us to press on to the goal for the, for the prize that's ahead of us. Press on. So being active in our pursuit of holiness in the Christian life is, is not opposed to dependence. Self-reliance is opposed to dependence, but not activity. So we can actively depend on the Spirit. We can pursue holiness in dependence on Him. Now, striving after obedience means being willing to fail. Right? Uh, we, we work hard. We strive after holiness. God says, be holy as I am holy. We strive after perfection even. Jesus says, be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. And yet, we need to know that we are going to fall short in this life. <laughs> that we need God's grace every single mo moment. That we need His patience. We need His kindness. We need His love as our Father when we fail. And if we don't obey in light of those things, if we don't pursue obedience in light of God's patience, in light of His kindness, in light of His love, in light of the forgiveness that we have in the cross, if we don't pursue obedience in light of those things, that pursuit of obedience will kill us. So we strive after obedience knowing the Father's love in the cross, knowing His patience with us as His children. We strive after obedience knowing that if we obey, of course, it's only by the Spirit's power at work within us. He gets all the glory because it's His work in me bearing that fruit. So how do we walk in new obedience? Well, the first thing is we, we actually work hard. We strive, we wrestle, we toil, Paul says, 
in pursuit of these things. Second, we practice dependence. We practice dependence. Um, dependence is actually something you do. Uh, you know, when a child is doing something that is too hard for them, how do they practice dependence? They say, Dad, I need you to do this. And sometimes a dad might say, uh, well, let me explain to you how to do it, and, and you can do it. I know you can do it, but let me tell you how. Right? And the child hopefully listens to them and then, and then does it, right? That, that's a kind of dependence. Uh, the dad explains, the child then obeys. Um, sometimes the dad might say, well, okay, here, let, let me do that for you. Right? You're right, you can't do it. Or uh, the other day, Jeremiah was looking through some drawers for something. And uh, he wanted to look in the top drawer, which was at this height, right? And of course, he couldn't do that. So uh, he didn't want me to look in it, though, right? He wanted to do it. So he asked me to pick him up so he could look in the drawer, right? Um, all different aspects of dependence, all different ways that we depend on another person. But the point is, it begins with, uh, Dad, I need you to do this. I need your help here. Um, Sometimes that's listening to your dad. Okay, what, what does he have to say? Sometimes it's just needing him to work in our hearts. Um, in some ways, all, all I'm talking about, right, is, is, is Scripture reading and prayer. Just saying it maybe differently than you might normally think of it. But that's all it is, right? It's praying to your father, calling out to him, crying out to him, Dad, Father, I need you. I need you at work here. I can't do this. I can't change my heart in this area. I need your help. And so we cry out to him, you know, at concentrated times, right? Maybe you, have, maybe you pray in the mornings, or maybe you pray at night, or maybe you pray at lunch. I don't know. Maybe you have some concentrated time of prayer. You pray multiple times during the day, right? We constantly turn to him. You know, Paul talks about prayer, praying without ceasing, right? So we constantly are turning to God, asking for his help. Uh, short little prayers here and there. Right? That's, that's living out our dependence upon our Father. Father, I need you right now. I need your help. And then listening to him, right? Listening to him, listening to his word, right? Knowing the scriptures, reading the scriptures, meditating on the scriptures, memorizing the scriptures, right? So this his word gets into our hearts and shapes the way we live, shapes the way we think. Of course, we're not going to set a number, right, of how pray this many times or, or pray this long or read this many verses or meditate for this long or anything like that. This is about your dependence on Jesus. How much do you need him? Okay, that's a trap. Don't answer that question. But uh, you, you, you get the point, right? You, you, you go into this not thinking, I need to read this many verses. You go into this thinking, I need to hear from my Father. I need him to speak into my life. I need his help. I need to cry out to him for help and mercy. Our prayer and study should come out of a, a deep sense of our need, a deep sense of our weakness. And then they become the activity of, of dependence. Right? This is what dependence looks like. Crying out to our Father and listening to His voice. Now, prayer and study can become just the opposite. Right? Uh, we can pray and think that by praying, we will make ourselves holy, like an incantation. Right? If I just say the right words, then boom, I'll be holy. Uh, we can study God's Word and think that by so doing, we will change our own hearts. 
If I just know the right principles, if I just get my doctrine right, then I'll be different. But that's, that's setting ourselves up for failure and frustration, right? Because that's, that's co-opting prayer and study in our agenda of self-reliance. Right? That, that's not what those are, are meant for. They're not tools for you to make yourself holy. Right? They're means of crying out for and depending on your Father. How do we keep in step? We strive after obedience. We practice dependence. And third, we actively work against the flesh. Um, as we grow in the Christian life, right, you grow in understanding your own particular temptations. Um, our temptations to rely on the flesh, right? So where are you tempted to rely on yourself? Where are you tempted to do it on your own? Just ignore that God is in the picture and just pull up your bootstraps and, and you know, roll up your sleeves and dive in in self-reliance. Where are you tempted uh, to delight in the flesh, right? What worldly joy has gotten a hold of your heart and won't let go? What worldly joy has become bigger than God in your mind? We grow, as we grow, we learn about our temptations to evaluate life by the flesh, right? Where have you substituted God's standards for men's standards? Where are you looking at the world from a, quote, worldly perspective? And you've just completely left God's word out of the picture. Where are you tempted to boast in the flesh, right? Where do you try to boast in something that you can accomplish or something you can do or something you have done? When we know our temptations, though, we not only repent of those failures when we fail, we not only re uh, repent of living after the flesh in those ways, we not only believe, remind ourselves that God is, is, is a superior power and a, has a superior beauty and a superior wisdom and is uh, superior in every way, um, but we also think about, okay, well, in this area of my life, what would it actually look like for me to rely on the Spirit in those times, in those areas of my life? What would that look like? And then, and then we do it. Um, so we, we take specific acts of obedience that were contrary to our flesh, contrary to our sinful tendencies. So, you know, uh, I, have, I am tempted uh, to, uh, to do my best never to make mistakes, right? Uh, I'm a perfectionist in almost everything. Pray for me. Um, pray for Deborah, actually, um, and my boys. Uh, pray for everyone around me. That's what I'm getting at. Uh, I have this, though. I'm tempted, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I overplan. I overprepare, right? Because I want everything to be perfect, everything to be just right. And uh, it's living out of unbelief, right? It's living out of my flesh. If I just plan enough, then everything will be perfect. Right? That's living out of the flesh. And so uh, sometimes I need to just step out without the same level of planning and just being open to failure and mistakes. Right? I need to step out, not, not overthinking, not over planning, not over preparing, but just trusting my Father. Or maybe your temptation is to, uh, maybe you have a temptation to avoid your roommate because of conflicts with your roommate or avoid someone in your family because of conflicts in your family. Okay, how, how do you work against that? Well, you, you step out in faith and maybe you specifically try to strike up conversations with your roommate, knowing that it may go sour, but being willing to enter into that in love. Right? You're saying, I'm not gonna give in to my flesh. I'm gonna actually work against it. 
Maybe your temptation is to overwork because you evaluate life by grades and degrees and academic achievements. And so you're tempted to spend all of your time and all of your energy and all of your thoughts uh, studying for uh, tests and writing papers. And so you resolve, no, I'm going to set aside time each day not to work, but to be in the Word and in prayer and just rest. And I'm going to, maybe you resolve to do no work on Sundays, to say no to the controlling power of the academy in your life, and to live in greater dependence upon the triune God. I remember uh, when I was in uh, art school, I, I know I've shared this with some of you before, but my senior year of art school, uh, first day, day one, uh, one of the professors says, look, if you get more than four hours of sleep a night, uh, you're not doing enough work. If you don't pull consecutive all-nighters throughout the year, you're not doing enough work and you will not succeed uh, in your senior year here. And it was in that moment, maybe because of my rebellious streak, that I decided I'm going to get at least six hours of sleep every night and I'm not going to pull a single all-nighter. Um, but the point was, there, there was something good in that. I was saying, no, I'm not going to give in. Right? I'm not going to give in. Uh, that's what we need to do. We need to think about where we are tempted to give in, and then we need to work against that. And that's just one way, right, of working against your flesh, right, doing the opposite of what we naturally would tend to do in our sinful nature. Um, another important one that people often talk about is when possible, we actively avoid areas of temptation, right? People talk about this all the time, and it's important. You know, alcoholics should avoid bars. I mean, that's uh, simple, but we don't often think about how that applies to our own life. We think it applies to alcoholics, right? Um, those tempted to go to certain inappropriate websites may need to avoid using their computers in private places right? because you know I'm tempted to go there, and so I shouldn't go there. Right? Whatever the case, the point is you actively work against temptation. You actively work against your flesh as a part of actively seeking to keep in step with the Spirit. You do that in dependence on Him. You do that bathed in prayer. You don't say, I'm going to fix this by avoiding these things, or I'm going to fix this by doing it this way. No, you're, you're praying. You're asking God's Spirit for help. You're asking Him for guidance. You're asking Him for strength. And you're pursuing obedience, new obedience in those areas. So how do you keep in step? Uh, part of it is striving after obedience, practicing dependence, and working against the flesh. And while I think all of that is important to talk about uh, what it looks like to actively depend on the Spirit, um, there are a couple of dangers here, aren't there? And you, you probably already thought of them. Um, the first is thinking that if I just do these things, everything will turn out okay. If I just do these things. But of course, then you're no longer depending on the Spirit, right? But on your own ability to do these things. It's a subtle but deadly trap. Just as it's easy for dependence to slide into passivity, it's also easy for activity to slide into self-reliance. The second danger, though, is um, I, I want to spend a, a, a little more time on. The second danger is discouragement right? or despair. Uh, the truth of the matter is I mess up a lot. Sometimes I don't think things are ever going to get better. And I can get really discouraged, right? Even fall into despair. Hopelessness can set in, right? Fatalism. Nothing's ever going to change. I'm trying to strive after obedience, and I just keep falling again and again. I'm trying, right, to work against my flesh, but I keep 
failing and keep giving in. And this is why, of course, the most important thing to, to do, quote, is to keep our eyes on Jesus. As we strive to live the Christian life, we, we will fail a lot. And when we fail, one of two things will happen. Either we will get discouraged, bitter, depressed, and just plain give up, or, or we can actually use that failure, right? Failure doesn't have to be failure, right? We can use it. Uh, we can use that failure to turn us back to the cross. We can take our failure back to Jesus for forgiveness and grace. It doesn't have to be the end. It can actually be the beginning of turning again to our Father. Turning us back to Jesus for forgiveness. Turning us back to the Spirit for renewed strength. Which, of course, brings us to our, our last point. Um, Talked about keeping in step with the person of the Spirit and, and with the Spirit, not the flesh, and by walking in new obedience. Uh, where does strength for this come from? Keeping in step by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Uh, look, at, look at these last, uh, close to the last verses in chapter 5, verses 24 and 25. Um, they say, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Um, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh and been made alive by the Spirit. Why would that be so? Right? Why is it that those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh and been made alive by the Spirit? Well, the answer is because this is exactly what Christ did. This is what he did. 1 Peter chapter 3.18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. See, when you belong to Christ, you follow the pattern of Christ. Jesus did this first. He died and he rose so that you can put to death the desires of the flesh and live a new life in the Spirit. Jesus denied himself and took up his cross so that you can deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him. And more than just setting the pattern, though, for the Christian life, the work of Christ enables us to live out this pattern because it frees us from despair on really two counts. Um, you know, when we fail and, and when we strive and fail, the work of Jesus frees us from the thought that God is going to give up on us. Right? That's where we tend to go. Uh, do you ever feel like uh, just a complete failure in the Christian life, right? You know, I've actually been on both ends of this uh, this week. I, I felt like sort of a spiritual superhero one day and a complete spiritual failure the next. <laughs> when our eyes are on ourselves, it can be easy to think, God's going to give up on me. You ever feel like, you know, you've committed the same sin just one too many times. God's got to get tired of hearing I'm sorry for this again. You think you've tried God's patience. God's just done with you. God's not going to forgive you this time. I mean, maybe the first time, maybe the second, maybe the third, maybe the first dozen times. Right? He's really patient, but not anymore. And it's interesting, Jesus uh, told his disciples at one point that they were to forgive one another 70 times, seven times. Right? Every time your brother sins against you and says, I repent, forgive him, Jesus said. 
up to 70 times seven times. And, of course, the point was that no matter how many times your brother sins against you, the point was not to count up to 490 and be done, right? You keep a tally. You know, you have a little notebook in your pocket. Every time somebody sins against you, you find their name. Okay, that's one more for him. He's up to 356, right? There's not that many left. Uh, No, the point is, no matter how many times your brother sins against you, when he asks for forgiveness, you, you forgive him. Why do we think that Jesus expects us to be more forgiving than God? That's the way we think of it, isn't it? Like he expects us to just keep forgiving again and again and again, but God, he's got to have a cutoff point, we think. If Jesus wants us to forgive 70 times, seven times, it must be because that is how forgiving God is toward us. That no matter how many times we come in the day and say, Father, I did the same dumb thing again. Forgive me. He's ready to say, I forgive you. I love you. I embrace you. You're my delight and my joy. And we say, how could I be your delight and your joy? He says, I I look at you in my son. I love you. I forgive you. Don't stay away. Come near. When we keep our eyes on Jesus, we know that because of his death for sin, we are forgiven. And only then will the fear of judgment be removed. Only then will the despair of sin be taken away. And when we fail again, which we will, we can run back to our Father. And he will pick us up and embrace us once more. Jesus frees us from despair when we fail and think that God must have given up on us. He also frees us from despair when we fail and and we're tempted to give up on ourselves, right? When we think, I'm never going to change. Nothing's ever going to be different. Galatians 5, 24, not only does it say that Jesus was crucified, but that we were crucified with him, right? That those who uh, belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh, In Romans 6, 4, Paul adds to that, we we have died with Christ in order that, right, here's the end, end game of dying with Christ. We've been crucified with Christ. Why? In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This is why we died with Christ, so that we might walk in newness of life. This is God's goal. God's goal in bringing you to himself is that you would walk in newness of life. Jesus died, but he also rose. And the same spirit that worked in him to raise him from the dead is at work in you. There's your hope. The spirit of God is at work in you. The spirit who is able to put his dead body back together is at work in your heart. That should give us confidence. That should give us hope. That should take away all despair. Okay, I screwed up again, but I know that God's not done. God's not finished. I had this shirt when I was a kid. I just remembered. This is scary. Uh, I had this shirt when I was a kid. It was, it was a black shirt. And it had a, a picture of a skunk on the front. And it said something like, I don't even remember what it said. You know, I may stink, but God's not finished with me yet. Or, you know, something like that. Um, yeah, that that's our hope, kind of. <laughs> uh, we may stink, uh, but God's not finished with us yet. Right? He's not done. And so, yeah, we failed again, but his spirit works inside of us 
And we can have confidence that his spirit is not going to give up. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. The moment we set our hope on, oh, I finally figured it out. I've got it. Is the moment probably that we fall flat on our face. <laughs> we don't set our hope on figuring it out. We don't set our hope on even, even discerning what's going on in our heart. We can, we can do that. We can try. But we set our hope on God's work in us by His Spirit. Friends, let's not live in self-reliance, thinking that we can cause ourselves to be holy. But let's not live in passivity either, thinking that we should just let go and let God and sit back and wait. The Christian life is not simply trying harder on the one hand, but it's not passively sitting on your duff and just hoping that one day, maybe, if you're lucky, God might possibly make you a new person. No, let's live in active dependence upon the Spirit. Seek to keep in step with the Spirit. Be responsive to the Spirit's work in your life. Right? Resist the desires of the flesh. Moment by moment, look to the Spirit for strength and thank Him when it comes. Strive to obey your Father with all your heart, knowing that He loves you. He's not going to be ticked off when you fail. He's going to forgive you. He's going to draw you back to himself and allow your failures to push you back to the cross, back to Jesus, back to the Father's love. You know why we don't like this? Let me rephrase that. You know why I don't like this? Because on the one hand, I want my effort to be what wins the day, right? Because then I'll have something to boast in, right? Look at how great I did. And on the other hand, what I really want is just a magic wand, right? That will instantly make me holy, wipe away all remaining sin out of my heart with minimal effort on my part. But God calls me to walk by faith. To keep in step with the Spirit. To trust in my Savior Jesus moment by moment, day by day, year after year, for the long haul. And scripture promises that God is faithful and he will surely do it. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you are faithful. That is our confidence. That is our hope. That is our boast. Not that we have been faithful, but that our God is faithful. That our God has made us many, many great promises. Too many to count. Father, help us. Help us to rest in those promises. Help us to walk in light of those promises. Help us to believe those promises. Help us to be confident because of them. And so help us to strive to obey our Father. Work this in us by your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.